Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. He's got a varied skill set that he's displayed at the highest levels of college basketball with a lot of experience, played in really big games, has produced in big games, a great leader, a great teammate, and the multi-skilled aspect of his game, I think will fit well in, in what we ask our players to do here and what Coach does is to be able to dribble, pass, shoot, lead, guard, and he checks all of those. That's Justin Zanuck, the Jazz general manager. He's talking about Jared uh, Jared Butler, the Baylor product that the Jazz grabbed with the 40th pick. We thought there were going to be trades. Oh, there were trades. Jazz made one, the 30th pick, for three number twos, two of them out there in the future. But they did get the 40th pick last night. They used that second-round pick on Butler, a guy who wouldn't have been available in the second round if he hadn't had health issues. The heart condition had to go through a panel of three doctors and get approved to play in the NBA. And he did. But that clearly scared teams off big time. He was projected as a late lottery, middle first round guy. And you can see with the draft complete now that that can mean almost anything. Who knows? He might have slipped to 20. Who knows? He might have climbed to six. I mean, I don't know how that would have played out because once he got referred to that panel of doctors, it was hands off. But, obviously, from a financial uh, perspective, second-round picks, less of a gamble than first-round picks. So, the Jazz go for Butler. Uh, You can look at his college numbers, and he's good running the ball screen, the pick-and-roll, and off the dribble. Also, decent on the catch-and-shoot. He can give you production there, so he can play on the ball, he can play off the ball. I think what we're going to see when free agency starts, and you just heard Justin Zanuck talk about this, like, easy on the hot takes. This is one step in team building. There's still trades and free agency to go, and those are really going to shape rosters. And especially for the six or eight or 10 or 12 teams that think they can win the championship next year, the rookies are less likely to play a big role. So the bigger moves are still to come. How much the Jazz think of Butler and how much of a low they'll think he'll carry I think they believe they need a guard that Joe Ingles can't be the third point guard. Joe Ingles needs to be, I don't know, hors d'oeuvre or dessert, whichever way you want to go, but not the main course. I think everyone believes he needed to be more effective in the postseason, and I don't think everyone believes, but I think a lot of people believe that that postseason effectiveness, that he got run down being the lead dog in those last 15 to 20 games. He carried too much of a load when both Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley were out. Now, they want to re-sign Conley. We'll see if that works out. I think it probably will, but there are no guarantees. Justin really loosely kind of sort of alluded to that late in that interview you just heard. You know, we've got a plan. People have to say yes. People have to say no. Now, that could be Conley. You mean Conley. they can't just do it in a vacuum? Nope. Turns out they can't. And, I mean, obviously that applies to Conley as a free agent, but it'll apply to other moves they want to make, too. You know, teams they want to make a deal with or whatever. But I think that, uh, you know, the, the thought that they could try to add a veteran point guard 
at the minimum. And former jazz man Howell Neto would be in that pool of players, whether it turns out to be him or not, you know, remains to be seen. Again, other, you know, you have a plan, and other people have to say yes and no. But somebody like that, you know, somebody who's been in the league and can play and is going to be available and isn't going to cost any more than absolutely necessary, the NBA minimum. If they don't get someone like that, then I think they believe Butler's carrying the load, that he can step in and play at that level. That seems a little risky to me. I mean, it was uh, Justin just went at length. Hey, you're going from the college game to the pro game. You're going from, uh, you know, college life to work. And the players are bigger and the players are stronger and the players are faster and the players are experienced and have all sorts of tricks. And they will work you. Rookie, incoming, fresh meat. So we'll see what the Jazz do with that backup point guard spot. Assuming... Assuming they get Conley. If they don't get Conley, then there's a whole other set of problems and issues to deal with. The other story out there, Woj just tweeted this about an hour ago. The Jazz reportedly trading Derek Favors in a future first-round pick to Oklahoma City in exchange for a second pick somewhere, second-round pick somewhere in the future. That will free up some money for the Jazz. This, man, we, we have multiple people, both hosts and guests coming on, allude that something like this is going to happen. I think there was a lot of anticipation that this is what was going to happen to the 30th pick last night. Instead, it's a future pick. Which deal came first? I can't tell you. I kind of think that uh, this one did. They would have moved the 30th if they had to, but they really didn't want. But there were probably other ways to get in the second round and get Butler. But in any case, it plays out this way. Favors and a future first-round pick to Oklahoma City. And I don't know because it's so new. We'll have to track this down. You know, the, the first round picks can be protected. They can ultimately translate into two second round picks if they don't convey over the course of two or three or four years. And this is so fresh, I can't tell you that. So we'll have to find that out. But for now, it's favors in a future first round pick to Oklahoma City. And we're already getting stuff. Why do the Jazz hate Derek Favors? Oh, the Jazz don't hate Derek Favors. Stop it! I think the Jazz think they're paying too much for a backup role guy who didn't dominate in the playoffs. And he's basically getting almost starter money. He's getting high-end bench money. I mean, he's in the same neighborhood as Jordan Clarkson, and Jordan Clarkson is a sixth man. Joe Ingles was half starter, half bench guy this year. Really split it right down the middle. But Favors is playing 10 to 15 minutes a game off the bench. And they're not even completely dominating the minutes he's in the game. If he were, maybe you could justify it. I think that's why that happened. Only because anybody hates him. I think he's actually one of the more likable guys to go through the Jazz locker room in a long time. Mm, I think lots of people think that. This is just cold-hearted basketball analysis. That's a lot of money, and we're not getting enough domination for that amount of money. Period. End story. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. With the first pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Shocking. I am stunned by that news. Cade Cunningham is the overall top pick. Now, in three, four, five years, we will redraft this draft. Could Cade Cunningham have gone number one? There are plenty of drafts where the guy who went number one should not have gone number one. But there are also drafts where people get it right. Troy Weaver, general manager in Detroit, former jazz guy, left here, went to Oklahoma City, and then went to Detroit where he gets to call the shots. 
So he takes Cunningham, which I think is what a lot of people would have done had they had the top pick. We'll see how it plays out. Will he be better than Jalen Green, who went number two to Houston? Evan Mobley, who went number three to Cleveland. Scotty Barnes, probably the first mild surprise of the night, right? He went number four to Toronto. And Jalen Suggs, who I think some people thought was going to end up four in Toronto. He ends up number five in Orlando. And I think if you're a Jazz fan, what really matters to you here, regardless of how hardcore or casual you are, I think the thing you like about this draft is those five players were this top group. And four of them went to the Eastern Conference. Getting sick and tired of seeing the West be better than the East. And then you look up, and the West has all the top draft picks and is hauling in all the best talent. Really? Luka Doncic had to come to the Western Conference because the Western Conference wasn't good enough? So in this case, four out of five. Jalen Green goes to Houston. But everybody else is headed East there in those top five picks. Draft picks are about the future. There were trades that were about the now, the next year. And the big one is the Washington Wizards. I don't know. I don't know what's with Washington teams making all these deals with L.A. There's one going down in baseball we'll get to, too. But the Wizards send Russell Westbrook back to L.A. L.A. high school phenom, a UCLA Bruin. And after time wandering from Oklahoma City to Houston to Washington, he's coming home. And the hold the Lakers have on that town. I mean, it's not surprising the hold the Jazz have on Utah or the Blazers have on Portland. You don't have an NFL team. You don't have a Major League Baseball team. The NBA team ought to have a hold on the town. But they got the Dodgers and they got the Angels and mm, Clippers. And they got two hockey teams and they got two Pac-12 teams. And the Lakers have a tremendous hold on the town. There is, I mean, Russell Westbrook, I'll bet you could sit him down and talk to him for hours about... The games he saw, the plays he saw, the players who were his heroes growing up. It's hard to be a player of Russell Westbrook's calendar, a caliber and not be completely absorbed by the legend that is the Lakers in L.A. So he goes with two future second-round picks to the Lakers. Kyle Kuzma, the former Ute, Montrez Harrell, and Contavis Caldwell-Pope, along with the number 22 pick in last night's draft. They're all headed to Washington. The Lakers weren't the deepest team in the world, and they really aren't now. They are going to have to sign a roster full of guys at the minimum. The money is flowing out the door to three stars. There's not much left for everybody else. What kind of team are they going to be able to put around them? How are they going to get shooters to spread the floor? The pressure, I think, is really on to do that because Russell Westbrook is the definition of streaky. I mean, one night he might shoot it okay. But in the long run, we're going to get David Locke on the air, and we're going to ask him about the moves, and he's going to talk about Russell Westbrook's offensive inefficiency. He's going to talk about how many possessions he needs for the points he gets, and he's going to talk about his three-point shooting percentage. And it's not going to be complimentary. Now he's dynamic as all get out, and they want to run, and obviously he will help keep them in transition. And they got three stars at the top of the roster. But man, guys four through eight, and nine, 10, 11, if they have injuries... Rolling the dice. This is how they choose to go. Washington did trade that pick to Indiana for uh, for Aaron Holiday. Pacers drafted Isaiah Jackson. Cleveland Cavaliers acquire former Jazz man Ricky Rubio. A 2022 second-round pick in cash in exchange for Torian Prince. As those two teams make a deal. Do you think Ricky was awake for this because he's playing in Tokyo? No. I would doubt it. But I didn't do the math on when the trade was announced Plus how many hours from, and there's 15 hours from our time zone. When was it? So if it was 11, 
When, when was it announced? Was it announced at 10? I don't know when it was announced. time. But okay, so 10 o'clock at night. So would be at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So, yeah, he would be awake. Okay. I don't know, man. That time zone stuff. It's uh, tomorrow, but back nine hours. It's ahead 50. I, I totally, it, it completely sends my brain spinning. Rubio's good enough to play in the league. He's not in the top half of point guards. He's not likely to be on a playoff team. He has been, certainly here with the Jazz, if he's got enough of the right guys around him. But he's on another team that's rebuilding and trying to get to the playoffs. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I don't necessarily, I've never looked at it like that. Uh, obviously, at the moment, he's got, a, you know, three years left on his contract, so we certainly don't look at it as a lame duck. Um, you know, we, we may alter that, but even at that stage, it's not going to be a one-year contract. So, never looked at it like that. As you guys know, in this business, it's, everything's year to year, but uh, I've never looked at it as a lame duck situation with any player. That's the Packers GM right there, uh, having to react to Aaron Rodgers' half-hour-long press conference where he said he was a lame duck. Nothing like a lame duck to count down on. Spend this whole season projecting into the offseason. Rodgers is on the move. And uh, the Packers say, well, he's not. He's not a lame duck. Although we could alter the deal. Jets rookie quarterback Zach Wilson is not a lame duck. He is signed. He is in New York. He is the future. Jets reportedly wanted Wilson to defer part of his signing bonus, $6 million of it, to 2022. Wilson wanted the offset language in the deal removed. Both sides didn't get what they wanted. In the end, the deal was done. They worked out some sort of compromise. And this had to happen because the Jets quarterbacking is not good. And he's a rookie and he needs to be in camp. And he needs to be getting going because he's going to be the starter on opening day. And him missing practices, him missing scrimmages, him missing preseason games are bad, worse, and worser. Well, Robert Sala yesterday said, okay, we're done with this. We need the quarterback here. He's the starter. Let's go. He's yeah, a rookie. There are other quarterbacks. It's going to be hard enough. Yeah, so Yach during the break was filling my head full of stats I didn't really need to know that didn't matter. Well, they but re- Jets, yeah. Jets beat writers. They got to do something, and this is a story. So, tracking stats. Yeah. Right. So what did the Pat, what did the Jets quarterbacks do? And, yeah. and remember, yeah. Zach's not there. So these are the second string, the third string quarterbacks, the other guys who would play if Zach gets hurt or doesn't show up or whatever. So they had 11 passes mm-hmm. that they'd thrown. One of them over 10 yards was intercepted. All the others were under 10 yards. They got a bunch of guys out there dinking and dunking who aren't really NFL quarterbacks. Dump off pass. Can't throw the ball down the field at all. Jake Butt, the once promising tight end whose football career was waylaid by six knee operations, announced his retirement from the NFL on Thursday, saying he could no longer hide the fact he lost his passion for the game he loves. Butt had signed a one-year deal with the Chicago Bears this offseason after four years with the Broncos. That's where the majority of his injuries happened. Michigan guy, right? He played for the Wolverines when they had that home-and-home with the University of Utah. Correct. He was a good player when he was healthy. Three ACL injuries. Yeah, his his health is well in the rearview mirror now. So it's a brutal game, and that's why you got to get the money you can get, and that's why even the NIL money, which isn't going to be as big, unless apparently you're an Alabama quarterback and there's almost a million bucks. Might as well get that, too, because you never know when it's done. I mean, he was, if you were at those Michigan-Utah games, I mean, he was obviously a very good college player and headed to the NFL, but never really takes off in the NFL as injuries take their toll. DJ and PK. 
Hashtag college football. ESPN responded to Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby's letter that accused the network of trying to destabilize the league, writing in a letter of its own that ESPN has engaged in no wrongful conduct and that there is nothing to cease and desist. A lawyer had fun writing that. Somebody had fun. Crap. Okay, as we all say, the most undefeated person in sports is Billable Hours. (laughs) Billable Hours for the win! Berg Magnus, ESPN president, restated ESPN's position. The claims has no merit. Apart from a single vague allegation that ESPN is actively engaged in discussions with at least one other unnamed conference, which ESPN disputes, your letter consists entirely of unsubstantiated speculations and legal conclusions. What can they prove? And everybody talks in this line of work. Did someone at the American call the ESPN and say, hey, what's our league work worth if we get Oklahoma State and Texas Tech in here? How much more, how much more money do we get? And man, if the American isn't thinking about grabbing Big 12 teams, if I were the Big 12, if I thought there was a chance the league could stay together, I wouldn't be hopping to the American. That's, that's another pay cut. It's a pay cut to go from the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas to whatever the Big 12 is without Oklahoma and Texas. But it would be another pay cut to go to the American. But the Americans got to try and steal teams because the Big 12 is trying to steal from them. This is what happened with the ACC and the Big East. Eat or be eaten. Big 12 ought to be talking to Houston and to Cincinnati and to Memphis. What's at stake here for the Big 12 is how long are Oklahoma and Texas in the league? How many seasons do they play? Because every year they play, the Big 12 schools put off that big pay cut. Keeping them in one more year, is that going to be worth $10 million per school? Is it going to be worth $15 million per school? Is it going to be worth $20 million per school? I mean, it's a dead-end street, and it's going to end poorly, but the longer it takes for it to end, the more money Iowa State, Kansas State, and everybody else make. So they're trying to hold this together for as long as possible. Obviously, they're going to be together this season. They're going to be together the year after that. What about two years after that? Hard to believe they're going to hold it, all the way, hold it together all the way till 2025. Something will probably be negotiated. And this threat of legal action is the backdrop for that. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. And the pitch to Jake. Get in the air. Deep down the right field line. Towards the pole. That one hits the pole. A two-run homer. And it's 3 to nothing in the eighth. Swing and a drive. Deep right field. Wow. It's going to go. And this game <laughs> is over. It is a walk-off grand slam for Brad Miller. And the Phillies have won it. A stunning end here at Citizens Bank Park as Brad Miller reaches home plate. The Phillies celebrate a walk-off grand slam. Nationals and Phillies actually played a doubleheader, and certainly the walk-off slam, uh, that's intriguing. It's exciting in the moment. These two teams aren't really going anywhere. The Phillies are 51-51, and right at 500. And the Nationals are eight games under, and the big headline for the Nationals... Trading Max Scherzer. The thing I thought was odd was they let Scherzer pitch yesterday. Usually you don't want someone to play, in this case pitch, because you don't want them to get hurt and screw up the trade that is coming. But he pitched six innings. And they won in the seven innings uh, in the doubleheader. They won that game 3-1. to one, And then the walk-off grand slam was eight innings in the other game of the doubleheader. But they let Scherzer pitch. I thought that was weird. Scherzer and Trey Turner then traded to the Dodgers. And Scherzer was gone. He was going to be traded. The only question is where. And 
There were reports yesterday it was going to be the Padres, and then all of a sudden there wasn't. And and Larry the Laker, with all his connections, hobnobbing with all these L.A. people, he was uh, he was direct messaging me that his sources, and I know a lot of fans do that, and, and Larry the Laker is a fan. But... Big fan. He, and he is. He's a huge fan. Big time. He is He is all in. He's super excited. But he is more connected than... But it, this happens in Utah a lot. It doesn't happen in other places as much, although you know it has to. In Utah, people know stuff, especially when you're talking about the colleges because you played high school with somebody or you got brothers, sisters, extended family, brothers-in-law, and somebody... Excuse me. Somebody tells them something, and all of a sudden it's out. People have their connections. They're tightly wired here. And a place like L.A. is not nearly as tightly wired. But for whatever reason, Larry's bumped into people in his circle, and and it's really weird that somehow he knows somebody in the Padres organization. Well, they got the okay, and the Dodgers didn't. And he is a huge Dodger fan who constantly dumps on the Dodgers. And I see that message from him and think, eh, well, there you go. I wonder why the Dodgers don't want Scherzer. I guess they finally got him got embarrassed by uh, all their riches. Where some of the Padres guys have gotten hurt so they can kind of justify, well, we don't really have an embarrassment of riches. We've had injuries. And then all of a sudden, a couple, hour, a couple hours later, I get a, a college roommate who lives back in Maryland and is a huge Nationals fan. And he's texting everybody in our group chat from college about the Nationals. I know they were moving Scherzer, but I can't believe they let Turner get to the Dodgers too. And I'm like, the Dodgers, I'm watching the draft. The Dodgers got to the front of the line. What? So they're loaded. Now they're still in second place, and they got to go win. But Scherzer and Turner ought to boost them. Another bat, another arm. Man, we talk about the NBA, and the NBA seems to be trending away from the super teams, and everybody is loaded. But I think it's just cyclical, and it'll come back. And right now, baseball's in the cycle where they're trending back towards the super team. I mean, the Dodgers and Padres have made so many moves and loaded up their roster. And there's a chance that neither one of them will win the division and one of them will be out in the wild card. But, man, these guys, are they are going for it. And I had some of you tweeting at me about that yesterday. I, uh, they're going for it, but it's still going to end in a trail of tears. Well, now that they've tried it both ways, I like it better when they try and lose than when they don't try and lose. Because when, they, when you're sitting there in spring training looking at the roster going, these guys aren't going to win more than 70 games. Red hot, out of their mind, career years. They win 75, they're not getting to 500. That season's no fun. I literally completely stop paying attention. I don't look at box scores. I don't watch highlights on the MLB network. I don't. I don't stay up late to watch the end of games. And then Yacht comes in here and says something to me. And he's like, my gosh, you've completely tuned it out. Yeah. But now that they're trying, even if it doesn't work, it's interesting. I'm up for it. Red Sox are trying. They were in first place. They went and got Kyle Schwarber from the Nationals for a minor league pitcher. The Nationals are just totally going back to square one here. Yankees got Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs. The Cubs have not completely dismantled their 2016 championship core, but they still could. Trade deadlines, I think, 2 o'clock today. I think it, is it, This afternoon. Yeah. I think it, is it 4 Eastern and 2 Mountain, or is it 2 Eastern and Noon Mountain? I want to say you're correct. Well, I just gave you two options. I, I can't believe be it's the first one. It's, it's the first one. It's 4 Eastern and 2 Mountain. so, yeah. By the way, the Red Sox and Yankees yesterday, both getting their doors blown off. There were some games that were just out of control. The Red Sox lost uh, 13-1 to to the Toronto Blue Jays. 
And the Yankees lost 14 to nothing to the Rays. Man, when it goes, just let it go. Oh, yeah. Don't blow your bullpen. Save it for the next day. Just let, what, it, just yeah. let it go. Because so there was another blowout. The Brewers beat the Pirates 12 to nothing. I was going to say, yeah. So but, it's four, 4 Eastern, 2 o'clock Mountain time. It is, okay. Yeah. The Yankees and the Red Sox had not both lost games by 12 runs. Thank you, Elias Sports Bureau and ESPN Stats and Info. Had not lost, lost games by 12 runs on the same day since 1915. It's been more than 100 years. Babe Ruth was playing for the Red Sox. The Bees were up 8 to nothing, And then they lost 13-11. to 11. I want to say that's life in the PCL, but it's not the PCL anymore. And I don't understand why they had to it's destroy the AAA that brand. West Division. I don't understand why they had to destroy that brand. The go, Pacific Coast League was fine. Go back to the PCL. And I get that there were teams in Texas in the PCL, and it had changed. But it had been the PCL my whole life. I don't, I don't get what they're doing. Game 2. Heartless accountants got hold of minor league baseball. That's what they're doing. Game two versus Isotopes tonight, 635. Coverage starts at 615 with the On Deck Circle pregame show with Steve Klauke. Hashtag RSL. RSL hits Houston tomorrow to face the Dynamo, 630 on KMYU, the KSL TV app, or ESPN+. Plus. Houston is in ninth place, three points behind RSL. RSL's playing three games on the road in eight days. The most winnable game is the first game. And, and on the surface, they're, they're all winnable. None of these teams, it's not like they're playing the Sounders or somebody who's you know miles, miles better than everybody else. Houston has already come in, played to a 1-1 tie, got the draw, got a point, and got out of Rio Tinto Stadium. RSL needs to return the favor. Obviously, the Dynamo are trying to win, and the Dynamo are trying to move even with RSL in the playoff race. When this three games in eight days is done, they are halfway through the season, 17 down, 17 to go. It's hard to figure out who's going to play and how they're going to set up the lineups. RSL has shown a lot of depth. They've shown that in the last couple games. It's three games in eight days. My guess is Rubio Rubin is going to play more minutes than Bobby Wood because they are being very careful with Wood's minutes. He's gotten a couple starts now, but they still aren't letting him play much past the hour mark, if that. So he's he's a 60-minute guy here. They haven't even let him go 75, let alone 90. So my guess is that Wood would start the weekend, or excuse me, that Wood would start the midweek game and Rubio Rubin would start the weekend games, which is a nice sentimental piece of, well, then Rubio Rubin gets to start in Portland, his hometown. He grew up in Beaverton, all that stuff. And it keeps Bobby Wood off the start on AstroTurf. The first two games are on natural grass. So I think that's probably how it plays out. It's just as crazy on Houston's side. They've had five players away at the Gold Cup. So how what kind of what kind of shape those guys are in to play, what kind of minutes. They're getting ready for three games in eight days, so... That portion of it, how both teams set up, ought to be pretty wild. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Ron Barker, former head of compliance for the Pac-12 and a BYU basketball assistant coach. Yuck, you've been tracking this guy for a while. He was a BYU assistant coach in 89 to 91. You were in elementary school and then started your blog. Yeah, exactly. No, I so I actually had a good friend of mine reach out and say, "Hey, Ron, the guy you might be interested in having on. He spent 20 years uh, in enforcement with the NCAA and with the Pac-12. He's been through all kinds of investigations. He's now writing books based on some of his experiences." That we I want to know how much cheating was going on. Will he get into details with us? Oh, he'll let you know. Yeah, he, he did an interview with my buddy who passed w- this information to me. I want to know about cheating cheaters and lying liars. He'll be able to help you out on that front. And I don't really care about the parking tickets and the misdemeanors. 
I am fully aware that everybody has them. I don't know who your favorite team is or who your favorite coach is, but he did it. And if it's a if it's another sport and the female and it's a female coach, then she did it. I get all that. I want to know about the felonies. I want to know about the big stuff. That's all I really care about. Care about. The juicier the better. Let's dish the dirt. I'm ready. So 8.30, circle that for Ron Barker. Now, you've reached out to a lot of NBA writers, all of whom were up late last night doing press conferences. And both of us. Don't want to guarantee... Yeah. I got to say, I got to come clean. The draft was done, and we were texting back and forth, you know, when is Justin Zanuck going to go? And I fell asleep and woke up to a text from you. I'm glad you texted me. It woke me up. Oh. Well, it was, was out. M- it was midnight it was too late. when yeah. you finally spoke, so... Yeah. All right. So the NBA writers are all waking up late. We'll see who we get and when we get them. DJ and PK, more on the draft coming up next. The Jazz making their moves. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Former BYU Athletic Director Rondo Felberg. I'm sure you found me a decade ago saying this was going to continue to evolve until we get to a point of natural stability. I still believe that a football-centric organization that has four 16-team leagues that include conference-based rivalries that lead you up to a conference playoff and then to a national playoff. And that's what the SEC's just done. I fault the Big 12 for not having done anything when they had the chance nearly a decade ago to actually be ahead of the curve on this, and they didn't. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in the Zone Sports Network. That update from the Tokyo Games was brought to you by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. One update, that women's soccer quarterfinal that John Stashauer was talking about has now gone to penalties. Nice save. And the U.S. just saved a penalty. The Netherlands trying to tuck it in that bottom left corner. No can do. Good save. So we'll update you on that. Quarterfinal. Whoever loses this isn't meddling. They're out. Get a lot of reaction. Not so much on the Jazz and the draft this morning. We will get to that in a few moments. But more on the Derek Favors trade. And actually that makes sense when you think about it. Because Butler's brand new. There's no emotional connection. U.S. converts. There's no emotional connection, and with Derek, there clearly is. Jackson Emery, the former uh, BYU star, waking up to word of this. D. Faves has always been a favorite of mine. Hopefully this allows the Jazz the flexibility to cover some gaps in their roster. Jackson played, so he gets the business angle of it. The people who didn't play... Uh, much more emotional. Jen, thank you for being a jazz man at D-Phase 14. You'll be missed and will always hold a special place in jazz fan, in this jazz fan's heart. There's a lot of that sentiment out there this morning. 
Hey, D-Faves, no matter what, you're an all-time jazz player. We love you tons, man. That said, I hope you stay forever. But he's not. He's traded to Oklahoma City. Along with a future first-round pick. We don't know about protections on the pick yet. We assume there are plenty of them. Those details will probably come out later today. Headband Royce, this one hurts. You'll forever be a Utah Jazz legend. And that is an old picture of Derek Favors. That is a young, skinny Derek Favors that Headband Royce chose right there. I think he dug back into the archives. That looks like 2012 Derek Favors. I'm going to guess. Here's the deal. Derek Favors was making a lot of money. He was basically making starter money. Now, he wasn't starting. But do you play starter minutes? I mean, you would be the sixth man of the year, and you're coming off the bench, and you're not a starter. But if you're playing 26, 28, 32 minutes a game, you're playing starter minutes. And number one, Derek didn't play starter minutes. Because when they brought him back, he no longer played aside Rudy Gobert. So he was playing backup minutes. But he was making $9.2 million. He's making a million and a half less than Joe Ingles, who started half the games, came off the bench for half games, but always played starter minutes, regardless of whether he was out there at the start of the game or he came on midway through the first quarter. Royce O'Neal, $8.5 million bucks starting. Jordan Clarkson, $11.5 million. Derek Favors? 9.2. He's right in the middle of Clarkson, Ingles, and O'Neal. And it goes to 9.7 this year for this coming season. And he was a backup. And did you feel like when Rudy Gobert was out, the Jazz were kicking butt and taking names, dominating the opposition? Like, oh boy, here come the favors minutes and they're cleaning up. Because when you're making 9.2 million, 9.7 next year, a, you probably need to be playing starter minutes even if you're coming off the bench, and he wasn't. B, if you're not playing the minutes, you at least have to be getting excellent production. And if not, it's cold, cold world out there, and they're going to move you. Now, will he play those minutes in Oklahoma City? How will all that shake out? I don't know what their roster is going to look like when they get to the season. But for Oklahoma City, it seems to be all about collecting draft picks. They collected some in the first round last night because, you know, 27 isn't enough. More draft picks, more leverage. U.S. saved another PK. So is that a replay or did the U.S. just save another they just PK? They another one. So they make this, they win. So U.S. is up 3-2 in the bottom of the fourth when a soccer PK turns into a baseball game. It's the bottom of the fourth inning. It works. Let's put them up 4-2 and it'll all be over and they'd send the Netherlands home. So I get the emotion, and Favors always came across as a genuinely nice guy because I think he's a genuinely nice guy. I think he's one of the nicest guys. You hear it from his teammates. You hear it from beat writers. You hear it in the community from people who bump into him and cross paths. So I get it sucks, but I also think it's wildly predictable based on the production. He's 30 years old. There is no upside. The future is now for the team, and they're paying him a lot of money and he's playing 12 minutes, and they're not crushing it in the 12 minutes he's playing. So 
I think is pretty predictable. And for those of you who are upset that they gave away a first-round draft pick there, well, let's see if it turns out to be a first-round draft pick. Sometimes these things are protected and end up converting to second-round picks. And with this just going down, I don't know yet. But I suspect we will hear sooner, sooner rather than later. And the U.S. has just defeated the Netherlands on penalty kicks 4-2. to two. I don't know who just converted the game winner, but the U.S. is on to the semifinals. Who else other than Megan Rapinoe? Oh, was? Yeah. It was Rapinoe, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it Rapinoe, Rapinoe? Rapinoe. Rapinoe, yeah. My bad. So, U.S. converts all four there, saves to the Netherlands, and that's it. That's a rematch of the World Cup final. The U.S. won that, and the U.S. has won this on penalties, and they're into the semis. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back. A little college football, for those of you who are drowning in basketball. we got the draft stuff coming up at the uh, top of the hour. But for those of you who need a little college football in your life, uh, we had some for you yesterday on the big show. But I think we need to tweak one thing. Because I think that one thing that people are craving going forward simply isn't going to happen. If it does happen, it's very temporary. And I think as soon as you say it's temporary, then it's not true. So we'll get to that. Next, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. I fault the Big 12 themselves for not having done anything when they had the chance nearly a decade ago to, to create some stability and to actually be ahead of the curve on this, and they didn't. Uh, but there will ultimately, you look at the number of schools that play big-time college football, and it breaks out pretty nicely into four 16-team leagues, and the playoffs then work, and the system then stabilizes itself. DJ PK brought to you in part by Homie, finally the way real estate should be. Full-service local agents, and you'll save thousands. Homie, a better way to sell. Former BYU Athletic Director Rondo Felberg on the big show yesterday. I get where he's going with that, and I get also that everybody has got built-in bias for one reason or another, and BYU has been shunned, passed over by the Big 12 twice. So if there's a little bitterness there for BYU fans and BYU administrators and a former BYU administrator like Rondo Felberg, I get it 100%. They had a chance to pick you in the 90s, and then there's a story about Ann Richards and the governor of Texas making sure Baylor got in and suddenly BYU is out. And obviously the Big 10 a few years ago, did that whole flirtation and looked over all the schools and BYU and Houston and Memphis and Cincinnati and everybody jumped through all the hoops and did everything they're supposed to do and then the Big Ten added nobody. Dog and pony show to get more money out of the TV deal. And it worked for a while until it didn't. I just think that what Rondo describes as stability isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen, and I think for multiple reasons. Not two, Yach. Not two. Let the record show three. Now, the problem with me saying three is now, for the rest of the segment, I have to remember all three and actually deliver three, or you're all going to laugh at me. Led by Yach, who will laugh first, he will laugh loudest, and he will laugh longest. First thing, I think we're, we're, we're moving past the 14 playoff. I think the 12-team playoff is coming. Uh, There's all this talk about, well, it's not going to come so fast now that we know what the SEC did. Well, yeah, it is because the SEC is going to get two out of the four bids and a league is still going to get left out. Probably the Pac-12, but the Big Ten has been left out. And I assume one day the ACC will. 
At some point, the rest of the ACC might get good enough to beat Clemson, or Clemson might schedule a non-conference game they can't win, and things get screwed up and they'll miss. So I think 12 is coming. Now, people will say, well, not as fast. Well, I was never convinced it was coming that fast anyway because there's a bunch of TV contracts and bowl contracts to unwind. So I think it's coming. Now, I think it should come with a limit on how many teams a conference can get into the playoff. I think that's what the SEC is going to have to deal with in the long run. There was going to be no limit. But I think now that everyone knows, oh, they were setting this up while they were stealing Oklahoma and Texas, I think the other conference commissioners, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, who weren't in the room, who weren't on the executive committee that worked it out. Ironically, it was the SEC and the Big 12. (laughs) That's hilarious (laughs) in retrospect. And the other three are like, well, we weren't even in the room. You were backstabbing those guys. Hold on. Let us look at this deal. My guess is there'll be a limit of three teams per conference. Maybe it'll be four, but I think it'll be three teams per conference in the playoff. So that's one. Now I've only got two to remember, Yach. I got two to remember. Two, the SEC always had a pile of money that was bigger than everybody else's pile of money. And as that pile of money got bigger and they won more, they were pulling more and more recruits out of Texas. I think the motivation for Texas is absolutely, let's get a $90 million TV deal instead of 45 or 50 or whatever we're going to be at. In the short run, they were at 38, Barry Trammell told us, and they're going to go to 60. In the long run, I think they were going to get to 50 or 55, maybe even 60, but now they're going to get to 85, 90, or 95 million. So yes, money is part of what pulled this apart, and I don't think adding BYU in Houston or BYU in Memphis or Houston to Memphis, I don't think there was any combination back in the day, BYU instead of Baylor, that was going to help the Big 12 close that money gap. I get Rondo's point about stability in four 16-team leagues, but the money gap is still massive. But I think the other thing that happened, and you can see this in every recruiting class over time, the SEC was getting more and more of the elite Texas athletes. And Texas wasn't. And Texas knows it. And it bugs Texas. And if they're going to get those athletes and win, they need to be in the SEC. Now, people have been tweeting out and writing in stories well, Texas has only won three Big 12 championships in the last 24 years. How are they going to win in the SEC? Well, short answer, they're not. But in a 12-team playoff, you don't have to win the league. If you're one of the top three, you get to the playoff. And I get Texas was getting dominated by Oklahoma. And in the 24 years, A&M was still in the league for part of that, and they did their share. They won titles. And Baylor and TCU... And Kansas State all had their moments as well. And Texas didn't measure up well to that. And Texas may not measure up that well in the SEC. But access to the playoffs, the money, and their ability to win hinges on recruiting. Kyle Winningham has told us a million times. So I think that's another element of stability that they just weren't going to have any control over. And they needed to go to the SEC. And then the third thing is, whatever level of stability you get, when the switch finally happens, and it will, from broadcast TV and cable TV to streaming. It's going to shake everything up again. Because the teams that are worth a lot in the cable universe, in the satellite universe, aren't necessarily worth that much in the streaming universe. There's an argument to be made that Colorado right now is more valuable to Utah than the Pac-12. Or Colorado 
is more valuable to the Pac-12 than Utah is. Because it's just all about households in your market. And Colorado delivers more, so the league makes more because they get a, a number, a dollar figure, for every household that hasn't cut the cord yet, that has either cable or satellite. And there's more of those households in Colorado than are in Utah, so Colorado is more valuable than Utah. But when you get to streaming, it's going to come to passion. You aren't just going to default by geography. And the fact is, along the I-25 corridor, the passion is around the Broncos. And the Broncos and the Broncos. It's not around the Buffs. And here, where we don't have NFL, there's passion around the Utes. And from the Big 12 perspective, which soon may cease to exist, there is passion around BYU that right now you can't cash in on. Because there's, as people love to say, there's five or 10,000 BYU fans in any place you go. Right. But in the cable satellite universe, you can't cash in on them. Those 5,000 fans who live in Nashville or Knoxville, the 5,000 fans who live in Orlando or Virginia Beach, you don't cash in on them. It just matters who's in a 50-mile circle around your university. But when we get to streaming, those 5,000 fans there, the 15,000 fans in Arizona, the 25,000 fans in L.A., the 10,000 in San Diego, the 5,000 in Fresno, the five or 10,000 up in Boise, they're all going to buy streaming. BYU is going to be much more valuable. But Rutgers? Oh, yeah, you draw a 50-mile circle around their campus. You in New York City. Awesome. You know those people in New York City are going to pay to stream Rutgers football? No, they're not. They're valuable to the Big Ten right now, but the day is coming where they aren't worth diddly-poo there. <sighs> I wanted to say something else, but I was just too disciplined. That's what I was. Too disciplined. So, to say that there's going to be stability, I think there's just always going to be change. And the history of college football tells you that. Look at all the leagues BYU and Utah and Utah State have played in. How many of you have gone back and checked out the WAC? How many of you have gone back and checked out the Skyline Conference? How many of you have gone back and checked out the Big Seven? How many of you are in your car going, what's the Skyline Conference in a Big 7? What is this you speak of? Should have listened to the Locked On Cougars podcast. We talked about this this summer. Did a big retrospective. It's where I get all my show ideas. I'm just joking. <laughs> but I did talk. You know that. So you know. <laughs> so there's this history of it's always shifting. There was a time when BYU and Utah weren't in the same league with Colorado A&M. And then they were. And a lot of you are saying, what's a Colorado A&M? Well, Colorado State. What's up, Colorado State? Right. And then they weren't together. And then they were. And now they're not again. So it's always shifting. You do your 10, your 15, your 20 years. Things change. I mean, at one point it's like, wait, we can get on airplanes and fly to games. Huh. We could change our league. It's new technology. We're all just shaking our head. That's not new technology. Streaming is new technology. Yeah, there's generations that are going to come up that say streaming is old technology. So as the technology changes, the leagues will change. You'll never get the stability. This is going to keep happening. And I did have someone in college sports, by the way, tell me, hey, forget all these goofy plans about six Pac-12 teams or eight or four or whatever joining the ACC or the Big Ten. They're not that crazy. Academics matter too much, and that kind of change isn't coming to the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Now, there are people who would disagree with this person, and this person 
has a job in the college sports world and does not need to be blurting these opinions out with their name attached to them. It will do them no good whatsoever. But they have heard all of this, and they're like, oh, calm down, people. It's not happening. The academics matter too much. I don't know if they're right or wrong, but I pass that opinion along as one opinion shared passionately with me. Calm down. The academics matter too much to the Pac-12 and to the Big Ten. What about the ACC? Don't know about the ACC. But for what it's worth, there you go. All right, DJ and PK. Coming up, Ron Barker, former head of compliance for the Pac-12 and BYU basketball assistant coach, 830. Yak assures me he's going to be dealing the dirt. That's good because we want the dirt. I don't know how many details, but he will deal dirt. No, I understand there's some things still have to be. I get that. But I want to I want to know more when I leave than I know going in. That's what I want. All right, coming up next, the draft. The Jazz make a trade, make a pick, and make another trade. We'll get to all of that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.